Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Well, welcome to Quinania on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and I'm filling in for Tom Brown today. And today we are talking about a message that I just recently gave, and I love this message. I gave this message at Calvary Community Church here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, with Pastor Mark Martin and Leslie Martin. And this lecture, or message, is called Actually Helping the One You Love. And so it's really talking about how we really help, how we really support, how we really have an impact in the life of someone that we know that's struggling, either just struggling because this is, this is a hard place to, to live down here, struggling with a terminal illness, struggling with an illness, a mental health issue. And so I'm hoping that this uh, hour will be really inspiring and motivating and helpful to you as you learn better ways to actually support the people in your life, in your family, your friends, your children, neighbors, whoever that might be that is very important and special to you, maybe your spouse. And you really will learn some skills and just some concepts that help you to actually help them. Because so many times we have great intentions. We're very motivated to help the people that we love. And sometimes the way we do it doesn't really help. And I know you've been there, I've been there. And so we can have great intentions and we can have a really good heart. But if we don't know what we're doing, sometimes we actually do more harm than good. And then what happens? The enemy comes in like a flood and tells us to quit and that there's no point in it. We never do it right anyways. We're never appreciated. We're never understood. I mess it up. Or, or we just get afraid because we don't really know what to do and we don't know how to do it correctly. So I'm hoping that you get a lot out of this show today. And I'm so glad to be on the show. I, I love this show and I love what it stands for and I love this radio station. If you um, haven't heard me in, uh, in previous times, I do have a show on Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. and it is called Conversations with Cynthia. So I really encourage you to take advantage of that show as well because I am a licensed therapist and a psychotherapist and that's what I do for a living. And so I like to do messages that are very educational just for the general population as to how to be a healthier person when it comes to mind, body, soul, and spirit. And so there's biblical principles that are mixed with just understanding the psyche of a person, our hearts, our minds, how it all intersects, how we interact with ourselves, with others. And I think that you're going to enjoy that show as well. So those are also podcasts. If you want to hear those, you can always go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and I'll spell that for you because it is spelled a little differently. It's spelled C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com, and all the podcasts are on that website. So if you're not able to listen to the show in its entirety, you can listen on the, on the website. So again, I'm glad that you're with me today. I'm glad I'm here today, and we are talking about actually helping the one you love. And when we come back in the next segment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the story of the Good Samaritan because it gives a great template as to how God wants us to help the one that we love. And then later on in the show, I'm going to talk about three other stories 
that we see Jesus doing wonderful health, support, and healing, and how that really works. So we're going to go over four different stories in the Bible today about how to actually help the one you love. So join me in the next segment. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Quinnia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Quinn and Nia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. I'm filling in for Tom Brown today. And today we are talking about actually helping the one you love. And so I think it's a kind of a broad-based um, topic, but I hope that I've narrowed it down some so that when, when, you're, when you kind of finish listening to the show, you're going to have some really good tools and, and handholds to really help the person that you, that's in your life that you really love that might be struggling. And it may be someone that, that actually is suffering from a terminal illness. It may be a mental health issue. We're going to talk a lot about that today because I am, like I said, a, a licensed psychotherapist, and that's what I do for a living. So I love to help people just have some basic um, concepts and understanding of the human being and how we are to really help and grow and become the person that God has really called us to be. So I want to um, talk to you first out of the book of Matthew, or I'm sorry, Luke. I'm reading out of Luke today. And it is the story of the Good Samaritan. And I want you to listen to this story because this is probably one of the best, best templates I have found as, as an example of how to really help someone that you care for. And so this is out of the voice um, version, and it is Luke chapter 10. Verse 25 through 37. And it starts in verse 25. It says, Just then a scholar of the Hebrew Scriptures tried to trap Jesus. This is what the scholar said. Teacher, what must I do to experience the eternal life? And Jesus, answering with a question, says, What is written in the Hebrew Scriptures? How do you interpret their answer to your question? And the scholar says, You shall love. Love the eternal one, your God, with everything you have, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, perfect. Your answer is correct. Follow these commands, and you will live. So the scholar was frustrated by this response, because he was hoping to make himself appear smarter than Jesus. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous, but... What happens later then is the scholar says, ah, ah, to Jesus, but who is your neighbor? And Jesus came back with a story. And this is starting in verse 30. He says, this fellow was traveling down Jerusalem to Jericho when some robbers mugged him, took his clothes, beat him to a pulp, left him naked, bleeding, and in critical condition. By chance, a priest was going down that same road. When he saw the wounded man, he crossed over to the other side and passed by. Then a Levite was on his way to assist in the temple, 
also came, saw the man, saw the victim lying there, and he too kept his distance. Then a despised, see they were a rejected people, a despised Samaritan journeyed by. When he saw the fellow, he felt compassion for him. The Samaritan went over to him, stopped the bleeding, applied some first aid, put the poor fellow on his donkey. He brought the man to an inn, cared for him through the night. The next day, the Samaritan took out some money, two days' wages to be exact, and paid the innkeeper, saying, Please take care of this fellow, and if this isn't enough, I'll repay you the next time I pass through. Now which of these proved himself a neighbor to the man who had been mugged by the robbers? And the scholar said, The one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, Well then, go and behave like that Samaritan. So what we see here is very, very powerful. And I want you to think about what does this story show us? What does this story tell us? And we get this saying in this last verse that says, Go and behave like that Samaritan. And so I like that saying. So when we see in this last part of of the verse, of the story, it says, Which of these three proved himself a neighbor to the man who had been mugged by the robbers? And the scholar said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, Well then, go and behave like that Samaritan. So let's look at this for a minute. What did that Samaritan actually do? Well, first of all, he noticed. The other two noticed as well. The scholar and the Levite also noticed. So three of them noticed the man. But the Samaritan noticed and stopped. The second thing he did was he cared. The third thing, he did not judge this man. He valued this man. That's the fourth thing he did. Now, this Samaritan, it says in this uh, version, says he was despised. And so the, the Samaritan culture was despised by the Jewish culture, and they were seen as low as low class. They were seen as throwaways. So this Samaritan knew what it was like to be judged. He knew what it felt like to be misunderstood and to be misperceived. And he knew what it was like to be ignored and despised. And so what this, this Samaritan did was resist treating him, this stranger, the way he had been treated which is very powerful because many times we treat others the way we've been treated and sometimes we don't even know that we're doing it. So this Samaritan, although he had felt despised, ignored, looked down upon, judged, he did not do that to this stranger. The the fifth thing he did was he had realistic expectations on himself and the one who was sick. Now this is very important So the Samaritan had realistic expectations on himself. He knew he wasn't a doctor. He knew he wasn't trained in any health care. What he did know was that he knew what it felt like to be despised, and he cared about this, this poor fellow that was on the side of the road naked and bleeding. And then he had really realistic expectations on the patient. And he didn't judge the patient and say, well, maybe he deserved it. He's stupid. Maybe he was walking on the wrong side of the road. Maybe he asked for it. No, he simply took it at face value and said, this man is bleeding. This man is feeling despised. This man is naked, needs covering and protection. And so he was a good neighbor. Because the last thing that we really see that Jesus said was that he showed him mercy. And this is what the Good Samaritan did. He showed him mercy. 
He did no harm. So one of the things that I want you to think about today as we go through this message is that, above all, just don't harm them. Don't make it worse for them. Sometimes doing nothing is better than something. But above all, just don't make it worse and complicate things. And so a lot of times our own dysfunction, our own neediness, our own frustration, our own hurt can compromise and complicate a situation. So this Samaritan was very careful to not get his issues mixed up in, in the poor victim's issues. And so when he's, we say he had realistic expectations on himself, he knew what he could give him. And he did a beautiful thing. He bandaged up his wounds, cleaned them out as best as he could, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn, paid for the night, and then he went and did his life. He knew he had a job. He had to go do his job. So he didn't stop everything and lose his own life to help this poor soul. He made sure that he had good boundaries, realistic expectations on himself and what he could give. And then he gave him mercy. And mercy, you want to think about. Mercy is this beautiful thing that God gives us because it's immediate. When we, when we have this example of people throw themselves on the mercy of the court, it means that whatever punishment they should be having, the judge says, I'll give you mercy, which is immediate, meaning that he doesn't give him what the person deserves. So we all know what we deserve. We are sinners. So what this good Samaritan did was showed this man mercy. He didn't judge what he thought his circumstances were. He didn't decide whether the man deserved to be there, didn't deserve to be there. He simply showed him mercy, and he didn't make this poor fellow's situation worse. So when we are acting as a good Samaritan, as a good neighbor, we must have good boundaries. And I know this term gets thrown thrown around a lot. Sometimes boundaries are hard to understand. And we want to realize that boundaries and walls are very different. A wall means that there is no way to move around it, through it, without a lot of wreckage and damage. A boundary is permeable. So our skin is like a good boundary. We can take some things in that are healthy for us. We also know that our skin keeps all that is inside of us protected and covered and inside. So that we can move, we have flexibility, but we also have protection. And so boundaries, another way to look at boundaries is to remind yourself that this is where I end and you begin. And sometimes in very intimate relationships, that's very hard to figure out. So it's understanding that this is what I have control over and what I have to accept. And there are many things in this world, frankly, I don't want to accept, but I need to. And we take our cue from God in this way. He's a very accepting God. If he didn't accept all that was going on down here, then we'd all be dead. We would would stop being here. We, We would cease to exist. If he didn't want to accept things... He would simply say, I'm done with all of this. And maybe that day will come. I don't know when that day will come, but it is coming. And so what we want to recognize is accepting does not mean agreement. So if I accept your condition, say you struggle with alcoholism, maybe, maybe the condition that you have is, is you uh, were unfaithful to your husband or your wife. Maybe you're not taking care of yourself. Maybe you have an eating disorder. Maybe you have bipolar disorder. Maybe you have depression, anxiety. Maybe you have cancer. Maybe you have uh, lung cancer and you're still smoking. Well, these are things that we are presented with all the time in our world. 
And thankfully, we don't have to experience them all. But someone you know is experiencing these things, and you are experiencing these things as well. So part of acceptance means I accept what is today. That's what the Good Samaritan did. He stopped, he noticed, he cared, he didn't judge, he valued. And he had realistic expectations on himself and the poor fellow that was wounded. And he had mercy and he did no harm. And so when we accept, it doesn't mean we agree. So if you're struggling with alcoholism and you, you got a DUI, well, I accept that. It doesn't mean I agree with your behaviors or your choices. You struggled with infidelity. I accept that. I accept that you are a struggling, hurting person, making very bad choices. And what can I do to help stop that behavior? And a lot of that has to do with the person struggling. Are they going to let me help them? So this is Cynthia Hyatt, and you're listening to Quinn and Nia on Faith Talk, 1360 KPXQ. I'm filling in for Tom Brown. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about how to be a good neighbor, to go and be that good Samaritan. Welcome back to Quinania on Faith Talk, 1360 KPXQ. And I'm Cynthia Hyatt, filling in for Tom Brown today. And today we are talking about this idea of actually helping the one you love and how we do that. And I talked earlier in this last segment about the Good Samaritan and that story. So make sure that you can always go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com and you can listen to these shows in its entirety. This particular show, you can also go to the KPXQ 1360 Faith Talk radio website and listen to that podcast as well. And I want to encourage you, um, this weekend I'm going to be speaking in Scottsdale at the Arizona Growth Summit with two great guys, Tim McGeehan and Pastor Tom Moffitt. And I'm going to be speaking on gender differences and the opposite sex and how to understand the language of men, understand the language of women, and how that really enhances uh, your relationships with anyone of the opposite sex, whether it's who you work with, your sons, your daughters, your neighbors, your friends, your boyfriend, girlfriend, husbands, wives. So make sure you join us this Saturday. So we left off in the last segment talking about boundaries and this idea that Jesus said to the young scholar, well then go and be that good Samaritan. And the good Samaritan showed us that he had great boundaries because one of the things that we saw is that he did not judge the the poor fellow's situation. Maybe it was his fault. Maybe it wasn't. We don't know. But the the Good Samaritan didn't take time to judge that. He simply gave the person what he needed. And he made sure that he had realistic expectations, that he didn't give him more than what he could. He understood his own capacity. And he didn't give him less than he needed to try to teach him a lesson of some kind. But he simply gave him what he needed. And so he had realistic expectations on himself 
and on the person that he was helping. And many times when we talk about this issue of codependency and not having good boundaries, I give people the example of, of your car. And if you're taking care of your car, just maintaining your car, making sure it's air in the tires and oil is changed and gas, water, all these types of things, if you simply maintain your car, you rarely have to think about it. If you don't take care of your car, you have to think about it all the time, and so does everybody else. Because you can't make it to places, you have to borrow people's cars, they can never depend on you. So it's the same for me. If I maintain me, if I just take care of me, then I don't have to think about myself so much. If I don't take care of me, I have to think about myself all the time, and so does everybody else. So when we think about having good boundaries, what we're reminding ourselves is that we need to be aware and responsible for our own well-being. That is my job. I am the primary caregiver of Cynthia Hyatt, and God depends on me to take care of me. And as I take care of me, I honor my Creator who values what He has created. And so I'm going to be aware and responsible for my own well-being, and I'm going to be responsible for my own feelings, actions, and intentions. And I'm going to be transparent with God about that. And if I'm having anger or, or judgment or unforgiveness or frustration with someone that I'm caregiving, I'm going to be honest with God about that, and I'm going to ask God to help me get my heart right so that I can actually help them. And I'm going to do the forgiveness process. I'm going to go through the grief and loss process. And I'm going to say to God, here's how I feel about this person's condition. Here's what I want to do. But God, help me do what this person needs. No more, no less. And God is very good to honor those intentions and to give us the insight and the wisdom that we need to do that job well. So let's look at some symptoms that may, that, that may indicate that our boundaries are weak. So if you're feeling any of these things, you might want to look at shoring up those boundaries and that you might have those boundaries a little bit sloppy. So many times if we don't have good boundaries, we, we feel, start to feel very heavy laden, very overwhelmed, very unappreciated. We might feel weary, helpless. We might want to quit. We might want to say, I'm done with this. It's not worth helping this person. I'm tired of loving them. They keep doing the same things. They're not taking responsibility for their condition. Or we may just get weary and tired because no matter how hard the person is trying, they're not getting better. And so if they have a terminal illness, if they have a very difficult mental illness, then they can try and do everything right. But maybe they're not getting the healing that you or I would like them to have. And we can get weary in that. So maybe I'm overcommitting. Maybe I'm saying I'll do too many things for this person. Maybe I'm getting forgetful. I'm letting others down. So sometimes we start to wonder, is this really my idea or is this God's? And, and is this God's directive? So we get a little confused about why we're doing what we're doing. We might start to feel like a martyr or feel like no one cares or that, that, that feeling that my labor is in vain. I might have difficulty hearing from God or trusting God at this point. It might start to, to really challenge my own faith. Like, where is God in all of this? I might start to depend on myself, my own strength, which makes me feel very alone. And the big one that my boundaries are weak is that I avoid saying no or I'm unable to say no. And I'm protecting people from natural and logical consequences. And that might look like the, the easiest example is the person who has a drinking problem. 
They're continuing to drink. They ask to borrow your car so that they can go to work. And so maybe they're not drinking at that moment, but you know they have been, and you know that they're not doing their program. But you want to help them go to work. So you may say something to them like, I'll be more than happy to give you the money to take a bus. I'm not giving you my car. You need to do treatment. You need to follow your program. And so it's really understanding where those boundaries lie. If you don't know, really helpful to books. We have Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. We have Codependent No More. We've got great 12-step programs that, very, that help very much celebrate recovery at many of the churches. So you may want to try some of those avenues. Just Google the word codependency, and you'll be amazed at the amount of information you can find to help with that. So I came up with four verses that I really like that help with this issue of boundaries. And the first one is Galatians 6.9. This is out of the NIV version. And it says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So this is imperative that you recognize. If I'm committing to help someone, to be a caregiver, to be a support person, and I need to take good care of myself and have good boundaries, it means I need to pace myself that it probably isn't going to be corrected in six months. In fact, it may take 10 years. It may take 15 years. I don't know when they'll heal. I don't know when they'll recover. But what we want to do is make sure that if we're committing to this process, we're in it for the long haul. If we're not, like the gentleman, the Good Samaritan, he said, hey, I got to go to work today. I'm going to come back in a couple of days. If he needs some more money, I'm able to do that. But he didn't stay with the man the whole time. So he was very clear about what he could do, what he couldn't do. So we see in Matthew 11, 28, I love this verse, and this is the message version. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And so in uh, the, the NIV version, it talks about my burden is light, my yoke is easy. One of the best ways to know that you don't have good boundaries is if all of a sudden the work that you believe God has given you to do has become heavy, and it's ill-fitting. So it doesn't fit very well and doesn't work very well and I can't move and I can't breathe and I'm overwhelmed and I'm exhausted and I'm weary and tired. I know for myself I've been in private practice for now 26 years and God has taught me this lesson very well that if I exceed the limit that God, the capacity that God has given me, all of a sudden my job begins to not fit and I want to crawl out from underneath it and it becomes very burdensome. And I get frustrated or tired or overwhelmed or impatient. And that's because God has said, this is the the hours I want you to work. No matter how many clients need help, this is the amount you're allowed to work, Cynthia. And I have exceeded that sometimes, and I have paid the price. And I've learned very well that if I do the way God has asked me to do, I learn to live freely and lightly. And I understand the unforced rhythms of grace when I'm doing it the way God has asked me to do it. So when you are committing to someone, you want to say to God, help me understand the boundaries so that I don't exceed my capacity and then can't fulfill what you've asked me to do. 
or I become weary in well-doing, or feel like my labor is in vain. And so I like this Proverbs uh, chapter 3, 5, and 6, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. He will make your paths straight. So when you are caring for someone that has an illness, an injury of some kind, physical, emotional, both, spiritual, intellectual, whatever it is, one of the best things to do is say, God, I'm going to trust you with all my heart, and I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to ask that you help me. I'm going to acknowledge you in all my ways. You are going to make my paths straight. And this last verse that I really like that's very helpful is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. And it says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is a promise. When I start to feel like my labor is in vain, I have probably exceeded my capacity. I have probably stopped trusting in God and and in His strength. I've started leaning on my own understanding of how to fix the problem. And this is what will happen. I will feel like my labor is in vain. So let's look again at some issues of boundaries. So what am I truly responsible for if I'm caring for someone? Well, number one, mercy and grace versus healing and happiness. And this is important for you to realize. I am not responsible for that person's healing, nor am I responsible for their happiness. I am responsible to give them mercy and grace. And remind yourself, it's not about a feeling. It's not a should issue. I should care for them. I feel like they need me. It's about God's design, God's direction, and self-care for me. So I'm going to practice good self-care as I practice healthy boundaries. So you're listening to Quinn and Neon Faith Talk, 1360 KPXQ. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, filling in for Tom Brown today, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back to Quinonia on Faith Talk 1360. And I'm Cynthia Hyatt filling in for Tom Brown today. Glad you joined me. We are in our last segment and we are talking today about actually helping the one you love. So before we get started, I want to encourage you to visit my Facebook at Cynthia Hyatt Inc. That's INC for Incorporated and my website, CynthiaHyatt.com. And that is spelled C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. So I'm excited about this talk today because I think it's helpful when we understand maybe some parameters about how to really help people and what's really expected of us and what God is really asking us to do. So we left that last segment with what are you really responsible for? And I said, first of all, mercy and grace 
versus healing and happiness. So you are responsible to give mercy and to give grace. You are not responsible for their healing and their happiness. And a really easy way to understand when we're thinking about what we're responsible for is the degree of disability is always commensurate to the degree of responsibility. So now determining degree of disability may take some effort and may take some involvement from other people, other caregivers, other uh, treatment providers that help you to understand what are realistic expectations for this person. They have bipolar disorder. They have major depressive disorder. Um, they have PTSD, they have terminal, a terminal cancer with depression, uh, they have an addiction, they have an eating disorder, they have alcoholism, they have um, painkillers that they're, they're struggling to come off of, maybe because they had a terminal, a, a, a serious illness. And so th- it's imperative that we use the wisdom and the counsel of many. And so we ask ourselves, how involved should I be? Well, I would recommend that you ask whoever's treating them how involved you should be. But more than anything, ask the person. Simply say, how involved do you want me to be? What kind of a support can I be? And when we talk about accountability partners with adults, I want to really help you understand and take very seriously that if I'm being an accountability person for someone, that simply means all I'm doing is asking them about whatever it is that they want to work on. I'm not accountable for it happening. That is their problem. And that may sound harsh, but it is really what the adult world is about. It is really their issue. They need to own it. They need to work on it, whatever it may be. Now, if I have a child under the age of 12, that's a whole different level of level of involvement, of also responsibility. If I have a, an adult that is uh, completely disabled, that is fragile, that is elderly, well, then that changes the plan as well. So how educated do you have to be? Well, educated enough to care well and to have realistic expectations. So if you have a spouse, a child, a best friend that you find out has a a mental illness, has an addiction, whatever the, the issue is, whatever the illness, educate yourself on it. And it can help you to understand what they're grappling with, what they're dealing with, and maybe what expectations are appropriate to have. And so again, the education is also when it comes to treatment options. So if I'm paying for treatment, I better be very educated on what I'm paying for. And also I want you to recognize one of the things we have to realize if someone has a mental health issue, a major diagnosis, that the relationship will change, which means I need to go through the grief and loss process. And I'm not going to spend time today on explaining that. That has its own entire show that I could do. And again, if you visit the website, you'll see a lot of uh, podcasts that I do on these particular issues. So you're going to want to make sure that you appropriately grieve the loss and the change of the relationship and the status that the person is in and, and what has changed for them in their life. And so I want you to understand as well, one of the things you may want to educate yourself on is the difference between men and women, because mental health issues or illness, illness, is different for women and different for men. We know that uh, women, the four greatest needs a woman has is security, a sense of belonging, to express love and affect change, and desirability. Well, if she has a mental illness or she has a, a physical illness or both come together, then her need for security is going to increase. She may get a little anxious. Her sense of belonging 
may be jeopardized. She may feel like, now I'm of no value. Nobody wants me around. I'm not desirable. And that need for being desirable, that gets exacerbated. Her, Her need to express love and to affect change in her world. Well, if she has depression... She's not going to have the energy to do a lot of that, or she's not going to have confidence to do it. We know with men, four greatest needs a man has, respect, success, adventure challenge, and the love of beauty. And so the respect issue, if he feels compromised physically, mentally, emotionally, he's not going to feel like he deserves respect. Or how he perceives you interacting with him may be perceived as disrespectful when it isn't. And so his need for success, the more compromised he is, the more he loses confidence. And we know with men, when they lose confidence, that is a very, very rough thing for them. And so if he loses confidence in himself, and then he's not able to be successful, then what happens? He also doesn't feel respected. And so his need for adventure and challenge, well, let's say he has a mental health issue. Maybe he's depressed. Maybe he's anxious. He has post-traumatic stress disorder. His ability to go out and take on the world and take on the challenge of his job is compromised, which directly affects his success and his feeling of respect. And his love for beauty, his desire to be have women in his life happy, smiling at him, affectionate with him. Well, if he's not himself, if he's difficult to get along, to get along with, then the women in his life are probably not going to be very happy. And that's going to steal from that need that he has. So it's a really important thing to recognize how mental health issues, how illnesses affect the opposite sex. So the, the next thing I want you to think about is ego, that we really need to get our ego in check. And I love this saying. It says the ultimate aim of the ego is not to see something, but to be something. So don't we see that in the three men that are in the story of the Good Samaritan? We had the scholar, we had the Levite, the priest, the Levite, that what they wanted was to be something. So they saw something, but they wanted to be something, and so they passed on by. We have the Good Samaritan who saw something. He saw the need of the wounded person. He didn't necessarily need to be something. So we want to make sure that our ego is in check. Why are we doing what we're doing? And what is our expectation of acclaim or appreciation or whatever that might be? And we need to have really good boundaries and expectations that are healthy. That says, of course, I want to be appreciated. Of course, I need to be thanked. Many of these things are just human. But where am I on that scale of why I'm doing what I'm doing and what my vision is for this? So let's look at this for a minute. This is what do people with mental health diagnoses, what do they wish we knew about mental health and having a mental health diagnosis? Well, number one, they don't want to be defined by their illness. Number two, it's very scary knowing they may face rejection and judgment. And so they don't want to necessarily always be honest about the condition. It's embarrassing. It feels shameful. They're terrified to think that people will give up on them or burn out because they're not healed yet. So they may lie and they may cover up and say they're better than they are. Or they may tell you that they're worse than they are to make sure you don't leave and think they're okay. And so they're very worried and terrified to think that people will give up on them 
and, and burn out because they're not healed all the way. And they want us to know that wrestling with God does not mean they don't have faith. That we are all, all wrestling with our faith at different points in our life for different reasons. And so the desire to be healed and God not healing and them struggling with that does not mean they don't believe in God or have faith. So some helpful tips when it comes to just some general education. So I want you to understand some things, and this is really simplified. So this, I, I'm hoping that this helps because it often does when we're looking at the complication of psychotropic medications and how that works with the brain and the body, whether it's Christian, whether it's secular. So I want you to understand psychotropic medications are, are, diff- are classified in different ways. And so we have drug classes, and, and, the, and many of the drugs that you think about are controlled substances. These include all the street drugs. These include any type of drug that would be addictive. So it's all the way from crystal meth to cocaine uh, to marijuana to alcohol to Oxycontin to Ritalin, to, to uh, Ad, you know, Adderall, all these things that would be addictive in nature are considered a controlled substance. They are the ones that you have to actually take a hard script to the pharmacy. You can't fax it in. They can't call it in. So when we look at people taking antidepressants, you understand that's a different drug class because antidepressants are not addicting. And this is imperative for people to understand This is why I tell people nobody parties with Prozac, okay? You don't have teenagers going to a party and saying, hey, I got a Prozac, 10 bucks. It doesn't do any mood altering. It doesn't do anything. In fact, if you don't need it, you don't feel anything or you just feel sick. You don't feel good. If your brain needs it, then what happens to the person that needs the antidepressant is that they get their mind restored. They get to actually be who they really are. Because the illness of depression or anxiety steals from the person, steals from who they really are. So if you think about it like this, your computer is very similar to our brain. And our brain is quite arrogant. And I like this verse in Romans 8, verse 7. It says, the mind is governed by the flesh, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So our brains really don't want to be medicated. The rest of the organs in our body... Really, we don't have a problem giving those medications. We don't have a problem with heart medication, medication if we are a diabetic. But somehow the brain wants to believe it doesn't need anything. Now, remind yourself, we don't see brains floating to heaven when someone dies. So you are not your brain. Your brain is an organ in your body, and it dies with your body. Your brain is, is different. So it's like a computer. The better my computer works, like it's working for me today as I do this show, makes my job a lot easier. If my computer were not working while I was doing this show, it would be a huge struggle. So we're going to come back and finish this up with general education. This is Cynthia Hyatt on uh, Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Join me in a few minutes.
Well, welcome back to Quinn and Nia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and I've been filling in for Tom Brown today. So thank you for joining me. Please visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, like my Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt, Inc. Remember that there is the Arizona Growth Summit this Saturday where I'm going to be talking about gender differences and how to speak the language of men and speak the language of women. So we left off, and we only have a couple of minutes, we left off on just some general education about psychotropic medication. So I want to encourage you to remember that antidepressants are not addictive and that medication is not used to treat dysfunction. So we don't give medication for codependency or, or immaturity or any of these types of things that are the growth, and, and the growth process for someone. Um, I also want to encourage you to remind yourself that nobody gets to pick their DNA. So nobody asks our permission on DNA. And that mental health issues um, are really seen as, as a part of a DNA process. They're, they're a genetic predisposition. And so it's kind of like, our DNA that we get when we are knit, knitted together in our mother's womb is some of that is like it's like a, a loaded gun. And then maybe the family dysfunction is the thing that actually pulls the trigger or maybe a trauma actually pulls the trigger and that kind of starts that mental illness. So if you think about the fact that you could have all kinds of DNA that's dormant, just like some people may have some DNA that is predisposed to cancer, but it never really happens. And so life circumstances many times cause the kickoff of that mental health issue. So as we look at this, I want you to think of these four stories that we see. We see the prodigal, the demonized boy, Lazarus, and the Good Samaritan. And these are four stories as to how God dealt with mental illness. And the last thing I want to leave you with is this wonderful verse in Corinthians. And it's in Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. And it talks about comforting others with the comfort we received. So we receive God's comfort and we give that to others. So again, thanks again for listening to Quinn and Nia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I've had a great time guest hosting today for Tom Brown. And you can always visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Have a blessed week. 